श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय ग्रंथराज श्रीमद्भागवत की जय श्री भलदेव पुनी महामोचुती जय बहुश्रेमानंदे सो गुड मॉर्निंग अगेन एवरीवन सो वी आर डिस्कसिंग द अवतार तत्व ट्रूथ अबाउट और द फिलॉसफी theology behind the idea of the crossing over tarantaranti crossing over tirtha means same idea a place a crossover comes from the same root as tart tirtha so crossing over from an ava means up so for crossing from up to down so it's the idea so the descent of the godhead there are different types of course outreach of the godhead from to us in this world without which we wouldn't know much about god um but this is a particular type then of outreach of kind of a personal per, with a personal touch if you will coming personally within our frame of reference and addicted as we are attached as we are to our frame of reference we tend to fit the this crossing over this descent of the godhead within our frame of reference and make it out to be less than what it is and avoid taking advantage of the opportunity that such descents afford us which is basically the opportunity to move beyond our limited frame of reference small as it is informed by the senses and um mind and reasoned about with the limits of our our intellect and um the idea is that that there's life beyond the intellect and that's good news so the avatar comes to exhibit such life beyond the limits of intellect and we should use our intellect to reason about the possibilities of such and and be inspired by the examples of those who have taken advantage of that and live a life that is um different than the norm but happy which is one of the principal ways in which it's different so today then we are going to speak about a particular descent of the godhead rather than about the uh, the philosophy of the nature of such descents which i'm going to discuss throughout the week from bhagavad gita and it's a nice section in gita that describes avatar tattva and um So in the beginning we have some discussion about a particular descent that of Balram at the end of the week we have the discussion about Krishna himself appearing and in between some philosophy and theology about the possibility of such the nature of such and how it's understood by uh, explained in the sacred texts and experienced by um mystics and so today Balram so Balram as i mentioned uh the other night as way of introduction there are different rams in the hindu uh, pantheon and uh this uh, is a, is is balram this morning we cited a verse from the bhagavat asan varna trayohyasya uh describing how the yuga avatars particular type of avatar appearing in different yugas is characterized by different colors and um in the context of that verse in the bhagavatam the following verse gives the names 
for Krishna and his brother, uh, Balram. So he's named Ram and Balram. Ram means because who gives pleasure to his family. And Bal indicates strength, so who has who takes great pleasure in exhibiting spiritual strength. This is the person we're speaking about now. This uh, and, and it's a, and strength means different things. We think of immediately as physical strength, and he is depicted as being quite strong, even through his different expansions of supporting the universes. Um, one of his expansions is the famous serpent you see in the Hindu art, and uh, the resting of uh, 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 upon the bedstead upon whom Vishnu rests with the the bed. How do you call it? The, the head, bed. No, the head bed, the head of the bed. Bedstead. Well, the bedstead, or the headboard, 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 right? So the headboard is the cobra coming over and acting as an umbrella, and it's a pretty nice bed, soft as you can imagine. <laughs> and uh, and this is uh, this is a particular, it's complex, but expansion of Balaram. Balaram is is strong. He is a support of Vishnu. In many respects, with regard to Leela, as I said, the resting place, the bedstead, he appears. He expands the dom, the sacred terrain, if you will, on which the Leela will be performed. And, um, and so strong in many ways, but I think in, the, in the, the primary way in which he's strong and the primary uh, strength in life for all of us is the strength to... Uh, to adhere to, to to dharma, to what's right, that cause that, that requires a lot of strength to do what we know is is correct. And even though we may hear it from others, it's we who know, right? Others may say what's correct to do, but we hear it in our heart. We say Guru Mukha Padma Bhokya Chite Te Kori Aikya. Guru Mukha Padma Bhokya. Guru and Sadhu. Guru, uh, Sadhu Shastra, Guru Bhokya, Sadhu Shastra, Chitte Te Kori Aikya. I like this statement. Sadhu Shastra, Sadhu means saintly persons. Shastra means sacred texts, a form of revelation. And Guru um, Mukha means the mouth of the Guru, implying the words that come from the Guru. So we hear the words from the Guru, and they're corroborated by the saints, and they, along with the Guru, they exemplify those words and inspire us. And there's the sacred texts, which they also conform to, so to speak. They, they live, in, they, they, live, they walk the, the talk of the sacred texts. So uh, we are to uh, learn something about spirituality from them, and they are all in agreement. And chitete kodiyakya means our heart. So we are to make, one way of understanding this is we are to make our heart one with the teachings that come from the mouth of the guru and are exemplified by the sadhus and, uh, and is the talk that they walk that comes from the sacred text and so forth. And it's often taken in a kind of a forced way that you have to make your heart one with them. And there's some truth to that because our heart may be in the wrong place. We may have to move in the right place. But also an understanding of this is that, 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 is that these teachings that come from the sadhu and the shastra, we have to make them 
one with our heart. We have to find a way in, in that, that they make sense to us and inspire us enough to practice. And there may be different ways in which we, we can do that, especially as time goes on, things change and circumstances are different and so forth and so on. So to make some contemporary, if you will, where our, where our hearts may be, for example, um, sense out of the words of the guru, the sadhu and the shastra, enough that we put them into practice by which we could get a, an experience that transcends reason and that really hits home, really satisfies the heart. So, so it takes some strength to, to do what's right. And also, we understand this is even there is strength of support from guru, from the sadhus, from the sacred text. It takes some part on ours, uh, our part, some strength to exercise ourselves in relation to these things and grow in relation to those examples and those words and so forth. And so this is what it means to be dharmic. And so strength really refers to dharma in the full sense of the term. This is the, this is takes, we can lift something over our head, we can do, you know, we can, we can have the strength of, of, of intellect and argue very well and so forth. But to do the right thing, this takes a lot of, a lot of power, a lot of strength. And Balram, he takes pleasure in, in, in assisting us in doing such and exhibiting that himself. In the context of the Leela, he's the elder brother of Krishna. Only by about, what, 10 days or so. But it's a big thing in India. The older brother is, has some, gets some deference and, uh, and he's the guru of the younger brother. As the father is the guru of both of them and their gurus and students everywhere you look in India. So of different uh, types and to different degrees and so forth. But Balram is, is a guru of Krishna. Krishna has gurus. So he, he's the Adi guru, but he sets an example also. Of, if you look at anyone from one side, they'll be a student. From another side, they'll be a teacher. And both these two, the dynamic of teacher, teacher and student that makes the, for the flow of life in many respects, for it to go on and, uh, and for the, uh, as a dynamic, uh, if you will, learning process. So Balram is one of the gurus of Krishna. He has another guru whom he actually took initiation from. He is the Shaivite Sandipani Muni. Shaivite, who means they wear the tilak like this, three lines across their forehead in this way. You may notice ours is Urdhva Purnam. When we make the line up like this. So this is for devotees of Vishnu or Krishna. And this three-line tilak cross, this is for the devotees of Shiva. So Krishna has a guru who's a Shaivite, who's a follower of Shiva. Uh, because no Vaishnava would become the guru of Krishna. They all worship him. So he had to pick a Shaivite. And it also tells us, too, that, that when we come to Krishna Bhakti, that these controversies that are found on, if you will, a kind of a, a, a lower level of, of Vaishnavism, between Vaishnavism and Shaivism, who's better in this competition and these, these disputes and so forth, they're eradicated really on the plane of Krishna Bhakti. And if you come on Shivaratri, the day of Shiva, we'll give a nice talk about, about that and explain uh, the, the position of Shiva from the perspective of, of 
Gaudiya Vaishnavism and Krishna Bhakti. There's no higher position given to Shiva in any other lineage than given in, in, in the Krishna Bhakti lineage of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We give him such a high position. So, um, so anyway, he took his initiation, his upanai, his sacred thread and mantra from a Shaivite. And of course, outside of the Braj, the pastor where he went to this, when he, be, when he went into the city, as a young man. And then back within the pasture, he has another, another teacher, another guru. And that he, he, he attains at adolescence. And that is Radha. He says, uh, Radha is my guru when it comes to dancing. And life is really ultimately about, about dancing. And um, so the, his feeling guru means his ragmarg guru, his, his love guru, that is uh, Radha, and then his his Dharma Guru, that is Balaram. And the Dharma Guru here, this is all in the Braj in the pasture, in relation to Dharma and, and, and Rag, or Vidhi and Rag. Vidhi is also a kind of Dharma. Vidhi means rules. And Rag means love. Where there's love, there's no rules, and where there's rules, there's not much love. Huh? But at the same time, if we want really wise love, then we'll have to come to rule over our tendencies that, to exploit that we are possessed of. So Dharma comes to help us in that regard, to overcome the, with some rules of how to, how to think, how not to think, and how to sit, and how to walk so that we can sit. How to walk, Krishna teaches in Gita so that you can sit. Sit means to do yoga, to do meditation. So it doesn't mean you just sit and you walk whatever. You have to walk a certain way. They will afford the cleansing of the heart. Walk and relate to the world in a different way. What is that way? Generally, we relate to the world how? <sighs> in terms of the fruits that come from our work and attachment to them. We work because there's a carrot in other words, in front of us. And that's the carrot that we want. And because we want the carrot, we, we, we don't even do the work that well. Hmm? <laughs> and we don't get out of the work what, what, what's to be gotten out of an honest day's labor, a purified heart, so that you can sit. So there's a way of walking, if you will, or interacting with the world that is yogic, which is to, be, to learn, to grow, to, to be motivated in our actions for something other than enjoying the fruit. This is what's moving the whole world, the attachment to the fruits. So to see beyond the, the fruit, so to speak. And this kind of movement facilitates then sitting. And so there's this, I'm speaking about it in a yoga context, but uh, in bhakti the same thing applies. There's some place for dharma, there's some place for vidhi, for rules, for law, in the context of, of pursuing Love, given our present uh, lawless tendencies, we have a sense that love is also lawless. That's why we, in one sense, we reject law. We we feel constrained by that and so forth. But nonetheless, our pursuit of love and lawlessness in our present condition based on attachments and so forth, it doesn't really make us that free. And the ultimate issue, of course, it fosters bondage. 
So some curbing of that tendency, some regulation, some some guidelines and so forth. This is vidi and this is dharma. And this is required to come in the context of pursuing rag. Rag means attachment, it means love, but attachment to the Godhead and a love that causes us to be so lost in love of the object of our love that we lose sight of its being divine because it becomes attracted to us in such a way that reciprocates us with us in intimacy. That's what Krishna Leela is, as we've discussed earlier to some extent. Krishna means God forgetting himself, in a, overwhelmed by love and in a compact of love and intimacy with us. So, so anyway, to arrive at that, which this whole Braj Leela, this pastoral Leela is about, requires some dharma. So the first guru of Krishna, who's the rag, you know, deity, is Balaram, and he, his name means who takes pleasure in strength, in exhibiting strength. And so he exhibits the strength of dharma in relation to Krishna. Therefore, he is, as I've said before, he is the Mariyata Purusha in Krishna's life. Purusha means person, and Mariyata means vidhi. It means rules, it means etiquette, it means the way to be in, in, in civilized, uh, you know, Society you had to be prim and proper and do things right and so forth. So as the older brother, he's always looking after Krishna to see that he does things right, that he doesn't misbehave and so forth. After all, he comes from a very high uh, cowherd lineage. His father is the is the king of the cowherd community, so he should behave himself, and he's the he's the heir to the to the throne. Balaram is his brother, but he's a stepbrother. So Krishna's the direct son of Nanda Maharaj, and he's the future for the community. So this boy should be given special care and attention, and he should. And of course, there's a tendency that the king's son will misbehave, of course, naturally. And as you know, we find in the Krishna Leela that Krishna is very misbehaved, and Ram is not depicted in the same way. So he's the Mariyata Purush. He's the person in in Krishna's life that makes sure he sets a proper standard of conduct. And he takes pleasure in this. And by extension, we can understand that in relation to him, ourselves, we will stand to grow considerably in terms of dharmic strength by his association. That's why also the guru is often said in Gaudiya tradition to be the representative of Ram, of Balaram, because he affords us a good example of uh, this kind of dharmic and uh, spiritual strength. So he was named Balaram, elder brother, and um, in their youth they carried on together as if one. At the point of adolescence there's a slight departure. And I've chosen a section here from Bhagavatam to read some of the poetry that um, centers in on this particular uh, stage of Krishna's life. In budding youth when he and Ram, his elder brother, start to want to get out of the house, if you will, and uh, and um, they need some some distance from their parents to to be be themselves. And this Leela is depicted in the fifteenth chapter of the tenth canto of the Bhagavatam. It's a very nice chapter. This is called the Poganda Leela, and it takes us in a few verses 
through the Pogondalila in its, in its essence, the bhava, the feeling, the emotion of that Pogondalila, that youthful lila, and then takes us from that into the into the, what's called the Kishore lila, the adolescent lila, where Krishna's romantic life starts to kick in. So this chapter take is this. It's very nice because there are not a lot of details here. It's not played out in detail, but if you if you can good association, you can feel the spirit of it. This youthfulness is so uh, attractive to the in Sakyarasa. It's very beautifully um, uh, portrayed here in the Bhagavatam and the budding of adolescence in Krishna's romantic life as well, where Ram directly participates in this youthful cowherding leelas in the forest and so forth, and where he steps back and indirectly then facilitates the romantic life of Krishna. We should take note that although Ram is the Mariata Purush, as I'm explaining in Krishna's life, making sure that everything he does is dharmic and appropriate and so forth, he doesn't get in the way of his apparent illicit relationship with Radha. He's not directly involved, so you may think he's not involved there, he doesn't approve. But if we study the Leela carefully, we see he gets out of the way for the sake of facilitating it. Because in the context of the Leela and the socio-religious atmosphere that it, that it appears in, if the elder brother, who's respected by the younger brother, comes into the room, then the girl who has attachment for the younger brother, then she'll feel some distance from, from, the, from that young man. Oh, now there's a respectful person in the room. I have to conduct myself in a particular way. So some distance is created. That's why we don't put the deity of Balram on the altar with Radha and Krishna and it's on the same altar. This is a mixing of aesthetic sentiments and rapture that's inappropriate. So there's a kind of mixing of these moods and so forth and spiritual emotions of the God with his devotees that is also to be, to be learned in the context of Bhakti Yoga. So Ram's mood doesn't mix well in terms of directly of, of facilitating the union of Radha and Krishna. It gets in the way a little bit. This Sakyarasa, this friendly rasa, it's compatible with Madhuri, with the romantic rasa. But there are some limitations to which the two complement one another. This is an example here, particularly Balaram. Balaram's sentiment is of a friend of Krishna. He's an incarnation of Krishna. He's an expansion of Krishna, the immediate expansion of Krishna. There's no manifestation of Krishna that's closer in fullness to Krishna than, than Ram. But his sentiment is that of, of a devotee of Krishna. And it's mixed. It's a friendly sentiment. It means Sakyabhav is the, is the center of it. But it's mixed with some parental love and some love of a servitor as well. In the Bhagavatam, we find examples of each. This chapter, we are going to read a little bit from, discusses Ram in terms of his, his guru bhava. Vatsalya means parental, and the parents are also kind of gurus of the children, as we know, or they would like to be, the eternal <laughs> gurus of the, <laughs> the children. <laughs> so, 
uh, Ram's friendship, because he's a little older, and so Yashoda, the, their mother, looks to him to protect Krishna. So he has some, uh, he has this kind of guru bhav, and it's like he's, I could say, he's the Mariyad Purusha, he's looking out for him always. Yashoda Ma won't let him go into the forest, Krishna, without, without Balaram there protecting him and so forth. So, it's a mixed mellow, and because of this admixture of his Vatsalya or Guru Bhav, that gets in the way. Vatsalya, Vatsalya Bhakti. Vatsalya Bhakti means parental love for Krishna. This parental love is in conflict with romantic love. You can understand it practically. If a young boy falls in love with a young girl and the parents never think it's right, they never think she's good enough for him, or the daughter's parents never think he's good enough for her, uh, or very seldom, and there's some interference, or at least, it, you know, mother-in-laws and mother-fathers-in-law can be interfering. <laughs> and so there, this, the idea is that this Vatsalya Bhakti, this particular sentiment of love, it's not compatible directly with Madhurya, whereas friendly love is compatible with Madhurya. Let's say, for example, you fall in love. Young girl falls in love with a young man. She's got to talk to to somebody about it. She's got to have a friend to talk to. He said this. I don't know if he still loves me. Is he going to call me? What do you think? <laughs> wait, wait, don't worry. He'll call. She's coaching her friend. Don't worry. I've been through this. I know. He's going to call. This sign means this with Matt and so forth. <laughs> so this is how friendly love uh, works in relation to romantic love. They're compatible to a point, obviously. Also, there's three as a crowd. At a certain point, that's friendly love bows out and lets the romantic love have its full scope. But they're compatible with one another. They facilitate. Whereas the vatsalya, or the parental love, is in conflict. So Krishna's parents, you know, they're, they're in conflict with the idea of his, him eloping with the young girl. They don't really, they're not really against it. They love Radha also. But the nature of the society is such that it's inappropriate, therefore they have to be officially uh, against that. So because Balram has a tinge of this uh, Vatsalya Bhav, Guru Bhav, within him, then there is a, a point that exceeds the normal conditions of Sakyarasa, when Sakya or friendly rasa would start to become incompatible in the threes a crowd type of example. It exceeds that because of his Vatsalyabhav. For example, it's not a problem for Radha to be in the presence of Krishna with Subal, his intimate friend. He doesn't have a touch of that, uh, that Vatsalya, that parental love and so forth. So he's an example of a Sakha, a friend of Krishna that's intimately involved with his romantic life, as far as that Sakirasa will go. He's the kind of person that Krishna turns to when he wonders, why is Radha mad at me? What will I do? How will I overcome this? What? And then Subal makes plans and, and gives advice and so forth, and how they will conquer the kingdom of Radha's heart, and uh, Krishna will be successful and enter into the forest uh, grove with uh, with her embrace, and then he'll back out and say, you know, not the, experience the fullness of, of romantic, uh, aesthetic, spiritual, transcendental rapture. Let me make this point. It's the point I'm making, actually. The Mariada of Ram, the, the Guru Bhav, the, the rules and wanting to see that Krishna's 
conducts himself appropriately and so forth is not such that it, that it, it disagrees with his romantic life. He gets out of the way, he leaves the room so that it can go on. In Dwaraka, when Krishna went to the big city and the gopis were pining for his association, at one point he sent Balaram to pacify them, to bring them a message. And Balaram engaged in, a, in, a, in the rasa, danced with, the, with these gopis, completely in the mood of Krishna, so much so that he turned black in complexion. Balaram's complexion is white. He turned black. There's a famous deity in Vrindavan, the village in India where Krishna appeared, named Dauji, and he's black. But typically the color of, of, of Ram is white. And so the explanation is that it depicts that particular moment in the Braj when Balaram representing Krishna, so much represented, his re- love was, for the gopis was representational. In other words, there was no tinge on his part of exploiting and enjoying the gopis personally for his senses. He was only doing it on behalf of Krishna. And he turned black, he turned sham, in other words. So he's very faithful or chaste to Krishna and Krishna's desires and wanting to facilitate them. This is how he's been depicted by the by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's lineage, drawing as it has from the Bhagavatam and so forth. And and so he doesn't get in the way of that relationship. Indirectly, he seeks to facilitate it, the romantic life of Krishna. So while he's not, as I say, personally involved, he's involved in the background, helping to make it possible in so many ways. And not directly involved because of this, because he's the Mariyata Purusha, uh, externally, and he has that ingress in his, in his spiritual ego or identity, of Vatsalyabhav, Gurubhav, uh, parental love. Here in this chapter, it depicts him in terms, there's a nice example in this chapter of his Gurubhav. Here in this chapter, Krishna will sit down after sporting in the forest and herding cows and imitating the peacocks. And he will say, well, what do these peacocks know about dancing? Who are famous for dancing, if you've ever seen them in India or anywhere else? And the tails go up with the males and big beautiful display and they, they dance around and you know they track their mate and so forth. So amongst birds the dancing of peacocks is considered to be special with Krishna thinks, what kind of dancing can they do? Then his friends say, Well let's see you dance, dance. So then Krishna will imitate the peacocks and you know he'll imitate the, the the different birds. He knows how to speak the language of all the different birds and and the and the different animals and so forth. And they're all sporting in this way and Oh, and then they sit down beneath the tree, and here in the Leela we'll find Krishna sits down and Balaram puts his head on the lap of another friend, and Krishna comes and massages his feet. This is like the service of a typical, you know, the, the disciple serves the guru by serving his feet, something like that. So he's massaging the feet of Balaram. And, uh, and in this chapter he praises him and puts him forward in beautiful poetry that describes the beauty of Bur- the Vrindavan forest, the atmosphere. This is in this atmosphere you have to understand. It's very beautiful. Krishna is explaining the atmosphere of Vrindavan here, and the Vrindavan environment is the creation of Balaram himself. He's a Sandini Shakti. He presides over Sandini Shakti, I should say, which extends and manifests the Dham with all of its beauty. That in the Dham is, is is Dham means light, and it means the, the holy place. It's a self-effulgent place. It's it's distinguished from other places by this term Dham. 
तद्धाम परममा यद्गत्वा निवर्तन्ते तद्धाम परममा नाथत भाषयते सुरुन शासन कोन पाबक यद्गत्वा निवर्तन्ते तद्धाम परममा तद्धाम परममा कृष्ण सेस इन गीता देयर इज अ प्लेस नाथत भाषयते सूर्यो and it's not dependent the fourth light upon sun neither on moon nor fire and by extension electricity and neon and uh, computerized world and so forth it is a place he said and it's my place tadama mama mama it's my place it's dham it's it's effulgent it doesn't depend upon sun moon fire to be lit it's self effulgent it's a luminous place it's a place light light is synonymous with knowing the light came on you know they give that example like he had a light bulb in his head the light came on illumined enlightened place and it's illumined in such a way that it facilitates feelings of love it's it's accommodating accommodation is not merely space but the nature of the space isn't it you could be in a wide expansive space like the desert and not feel very accommodated you might feel very alone but you could live in the hollow of a tree with someone you love and it would feel like a big place chaitanya mahaprabhu lived in a small room about 8 by 8 with no windows out of stone but so big was his idea so big was his heart that it overflowed that room in so many ways he's poetically described in chaitanya charitamrita as melting inside that room melting and if you ever tasted any bhava or any bhav abhas any any shadow of bhav coming from association of someone who has bhav it, it feels like melting melting it means the heart is melting and it's changing and this melting it causes the body to take a liquid kind of a uh appearance the tears come from the eyes the hardness of our ego of uh, resulting from attachment that makes us mean and takers it's changing it's melting like the wicked witch of the west i'm melting i'm melting <laughs> hmm? so to melt away this this other ego and then in liquid kind of form this bhava this rasa ananda it's flowing and liquid and 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 versatile and uh, there's no attachment but flowing with love and uh and uh in in it, it, it's uh, like i say spiritual life is flexible actually and it's gray it's not black and white like religion it's what is gray there's many nuanced ways of looking at that and so forth black and white means they're hard it's one or the other and gray means i don't know it's black here it's white there it's in between 256 shades of gray used to be i don't know what it is now in computer language but um so love is still 256 probably more yeah so so is, this is the idea he he was poetically described as in that room he melts his heart just melting in love and he ran flowed under the door how it actually happened we don't know but these this this the students locked him in the room because of his madness chaitanya mahaprabhu the madness was what was going on in his heart 
when discussing these things. We, we're trying to stay awake while discussing these things. <laughs> Pay attention and get something out of it. He's melting. His heart is melting. The poetic descriptions coming from the heart of Sukadev here, the speaker, are just melting Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's heart. He's entering into that, that, that leela. And somehow he, they, th- they thought he melted and went under the door. Because they had the door locked because they thought, this person is going to be harmful to himself. Well, he's mad. He was mad in ecstasy. They wanted to protect him from himself and bumping into things and walking out and getting lost and maybe drowning in the ocean or something like that. This poor is on the seaside of the ocean. The night he might just go out and wander anywhere and we're going to be sleeping because we, ha- we still have to sleep. He doesn't sleep. He just goes on like this. And he doesn't know whether it's Ratri, Dine, he doesn't know if it's day or night. He's living in that self-lumined world, day or night. It makes no difference. Day and night is a whole material you know, calculation, whether it's day or night. It means we're counting. Huh? Spiritual life means beyond counting. Counting means maya, illusion, to measure, to think you can bring it within your grasp. When there's no longer any day and night in your life, then you're getting close. Hmm? Then you're coming to that self-illumined realm. Hmm? It's light and a knowing, and it's the knowing of how to love. The knowing of loving that's, that's the so, so concise knowing, no extra baggage kind of knowing that you, you carry with you to show other people that you know something. <laughs> Not like that. Hmm? You don't need to be anybody. You don't have a, you've been through it, you've tried to be. Now, sadhana means to try not to be somebody. That's what sadhana, spiritual practice means. To give up trying to be somebody and trying to just, just be. <laughs> Instead of, you know, be what you are, in other words. Stop, try, stop trying to add something onto your life. That way, make yourself more, to see the fullness of what you actually are in terms of, a, of, a, of an experiencing unit of consciousness. It's beautiful. So, how he got under the door, we don't know. But he would find himself out. They'd find him on the beach in the night. So they concluded he must have melted and gone under the door. Such possibilities exist if we understand what is bhava, what is spiritual ecstasy. I mean, let's face it, a moment of this <laughs> will change our life. It will keep us in the ballpark of all these things. A little experience goes a long way. So we have gatherings like this that we may get some little experience, some little glimpse, a little melting of the heart and everything. I'm not going to get too far from this. <laughs> However far I go, I'm going to keep some anchor here. And if we get a little bit more, we, and we, we start moving in that direction systematically and then running after that and, then, and so forth. So, Taddama Param Lama, Krishna says, there's a place. He says, and it's my place. And it's self-luminous. This is what it means. And he says, He says what? Going there, there's no return. Anabhati sabdat. Anabhati sabdat. The sutras said at the end, it is no return. It is no return. We return. The idea is this, that we engage ourselves in relation to things and they don't satisfy us. Things. And so we move away from them, don't we? But then we also return to those things. And then we say, I've had it with this. I'm done. We move away. 
but then we return to it in one form or another form and so forth. This is a place there's no return from there because it actually satisfies the heart. And this place is expanded by Ram. And in this chapter of the Bhagavat, in the poetry, Krishna begins glorifying that place. And then he turns directly to glorify Ram like a student would uh, his disciple, the guru, the teacher that he or she loves and so forth. But in his very description of the Dham, indirectly, he's also glorifying Ram, Balaram. It's like this. He's saying it's an environment that's so, and I'm enthusiastic in. It's conducive to my heart's desire for love and affection. The nature of the Dham is that it's affectionate. That's why it's accommodating, not just that it's spacious. In material life, we need some space sometimes, right? I need some space. We gotta be, you know, alone. <laughs> Something like that. We need some space. We need to get away from the chatter and the noise and the busyness and so forth. But more than the space, we need affection, right? And that's the only thing that's gonna make any space, you know, accommodating for very long. So these spaces that we talk about, this is, we're talking about a place here. And so we're trying to get a grip on that, you know, what does it mean, a spiritual place, a spiritual realm, a spiritual world? This is the idea. We live in a world of forms and names, and these names and forms are here today and gone tomorrow. We chase after a form of a beautiful young lady or a handsome young guy, and they, they change right in front of us, you know. They, they turn out to be mean-spirited or whatever. They shrivel up and, <laughs> you know, they, they don't look as, as, as they used to and so forth. So this happens. It's, like, it's just like a dream. You know, you go embrace somebody who turns into a monster. You know? <laughs> well, it happens in waking life too, unfortunately. And so these names and forms, they come, they go. They're not what they appear to be. And so we want to gravitate away from this 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 kind of musical chairs of just the things always changing. I can't get my feet on the ground. And we're directed towards our self, our inner self, consciousness, which means constant within. Matter is changing around it. It's the constant factor that makes the thing worth living. It's, it's, the, it's the injection of life into matter, consciousness, the perceiver. And so when we're told we are that. There's room there, wow. That's spacious. And there's some affection there too because it's moving away from the appearance of affection only in the world that you know, falls short to one extent or another. And, and so there's some, some space, there's some accommodation. And now we've moved away from temporary forms and names. We're in this plane of consciousness and it, you kind of you think about it. what's that plane of consciousness like? You think it's just like some big light. I'm in that light. It's warm. <laughs> Is there anybody else here? You know, it's warm. It's a. It's somehow a glow. It's. It's. You know how are you going to think about Brahman, the, the great. You know, reality of, of consciousness that underlies the world. It's. It's comforting. It's in it, that it's stable. The ground is not moving. It's. It endures. There's no death in this plane. Uh, existence. There's some knowing there. Some some cognizance some, compared to the ignorance of material life, and there's a little bit of bliss there. You'll think there ought to be a lot of bliss there. 
Actually, there's only a little bit, but a little bit goes a long way. It can make the whole of material interaction look very insignificant and troublesome, even painful. But now we're talking about something else. We're talking about a place, aren't we? It's got trees, flowers, fruits, there's people, there's cows. Having all these interactions, it sounds like the world we just left. No, but if we study carefully the poetry and the philosophy that underlies this world, this plane, we see, oh, it's similar, but it's very different. But you think you may think it's limited, so there's forms again. But these forms are liquid, like I said. They're made out of bhava, out of ecstasy. All the movements, anubhava, is a certain type of ecstasy. There are voluntary movements that are anubhava, involuntary movements of ecstasy. The clouds rain. That's tear. The clouds are crying there in ecstasy. There is a sun. There's no need for a sun, but there's one anyway for the sake of the drama of the leela. And there's a moon. After all, how could Krishna have a romantic life without a full moon? Hmm? So the moon's there to facilitate the romantic life. It's an expression of his desire for what would be analogous in our lives to romantic life. Analogous in the sense that romantic life is, has this potential of being so fulfilling. Hmm? So, so it, it's, it's, it's the height kind of, of, of loving expression. So the absolute has a romantic kind of heart. There's no exploitation, there's no taking in that. Why? Because Krishna is the center, and gopis, for example, the lovers, are, are the example of full giving, absolute giving. They're depicted like this. They completely give. They give everything. They give their bodies. They're depicted even to him. But there's no exploitation because he's the center. There has to be a giver, and there has to be a taker on the other end. So, as I've given an example before, the stomach is the center of the body in relation to its need for intake of food. And if we give to the stomach, the stomach takes. But in the context of its taking, it digests, and then the energy is distributed throughout the body. If I give the food with my left hand just to my right hand, well, there's a problem. So when our giving is off-center, it's good that we give because it's off-center the full result of giving can't be realized, and the full measure of giving can't be realized. And when we find the actual center that's the taker in every respect, then we have the, the potential to give completely. So in this Leela, there's, it, it appears like some exploitation. Krishna's mixing with the gopis, and they're stealing away from their husbands. Those husbands are all manifestations of Krishna. The gopis are all manifestations of his shakti. It's all a drama. After all, if someone owns everything and steals, what will we call that? Play. That is his play. How can someone who owns everything steal? Only at his play. Krishna owns everything. Parikshit, the king, in Bhagavatam, who's inquiring from the sage Sukadev, after hearing about Krishna's love dance with the gopis, said, how can he be dancing with somebody else's wives? And he's the principal example of Dharma. He said, well, you don't understand. He's the husband of their husbands as well. <laughs> He's in the heart of everybody. you got to figure out who he is here. I know it's hard to understand, he said, but this is esoteric. So the point I'm making here is that this realm, this place we're talking about, it's different. And how is it big? Because a place is always going to seem smaller than just like, imagine now, light, infinity, infinity. 
Try to conceptualize that in your head. It's just this big space. Now we start talking about a forest and forms and cows. It starts getting smaller. But what's really happening is, is what? From this undifferentiated Brahman, we're moving into a kind of a differentiation in a spiritual context and a bias of bhakti. I love Krishna as a friend. Other one, well, I love him as a lover. I love him as a son. I love him as Narayan, Om, with reverence. Different types of love, different, uh, creating a, a variety of experience, but it's all centered, properly centered, so it's not in conflict. And what makes this place bigger than Brahman, more spacious, is what? The affection. So it's bigger by affection. Like I said, you could live in a cave with someone you love and feel like it was bigger than the whole world. So what we find in, this, in the sacred text is the description from, from the world, which is a small place, the world of our senses and our mind, it's like really small and really uncomfortable. And we unreasonably want other people to fit inside of it. You know, that's unreasonable. It's not even comfortable for us, but we expect everybody else will live inside and be happy there. So to get out of that small world of the mind and the selfishness that's part of it and so forth and and, you know, there are ways to make it bigger, and the ways to make it bigger are to sacrifice, to have a relationship, you know, a monogamous one, you know, that's bigger. It looks smaller because there's only one lady involved or one guy involved, but it's actually bigger, isn't it? <laughs> the exchange between that one, those two people is bigger. It's more meaningful. It's deeper. And why? Because there's a, there's a commitment there, and commitment means some rule, kind of. It means... I'm not going to go anywhere else. It's just you and me. We're going to make it together. Huh? And, 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 and it looks smaller. Like I say, you don't have many to go, but it's, but it's bigger. Quality. Quality is bigger. And what's making it bigger is the, there's a degree of sacrifice that's involved in there. That's what's making it bigger. So we can make the world of our mind bigger, and we should. <laughs> we should make it as big as it can get. And the more we do that, the more we'll move in the direction of what's really big what we are as a unit of consciousness and, and, and how giving, how giving is, is always going to be limited within a world that's limited by, by death, for example. So to, so to move beyond that, to move to Brahman then, and then to move in the direction of affection through bhakti. Because you can get mukti and enter Brahman with a little bit of bhakti, a little bit of devotion, add to your yoga or your jnana, you can get mukti. That means Krishna gives that easily. But himself, if you're so audacious to think, I want him as my own. Not only I don't want to be his, I want him as my own. That's a, <laughs> this is the Vrindavan consciousness. That, that, yeah, that's a, whoa, you're asking a lot. He says, you only have to give a small thing, though, your heart. That's everything. What do you mean? You're so tricky, you know. He says, Patram Pushpam Palam Toyam Yome Bhakti Prayat. Just give me a leaf, a flower, water with devotion. And if you offer that with devotion, I'll, I'll accept it. Twice in the verse in the Gita I'm referring to, he says devotion. That's the word to catch on. Just a leaf. A Anybody's got a leaf. You can't live without water. Everybody's got water or a flower. These things don't cost anything. You just offer these things. Sounds really easy, but then he says, but you see, oh, but you're asking for my whole heart. You're very tricky. But you've done it in such a charming way that I can't resist. I'll give my heart to you. Take it. So this is bhakti. And the environment 
that facilitates this kind of bhakti to the extreme. This is all the manifestation of Balaram. See how he's involved in this. And in this beautiful chapter, which I hope to get to in this talk, yeah. <laughs> Krishna is, is glorifying this place, um, Vrindavan, and his Pogana Leela. Now he's just moved from his childhood Leela, which reaches its zenith in his, in, his, in his herding calves. He gets to herd the calves. This is his nature. He's a cow herder. He's coming a cow herd family. So him and Ram, they reach a certain age and, they, and, it's, and, and they're moving from childhood to youth. So they've been allowed at the cusp, at the high end of their childhood, to start herding the calves. Calves mean that they don't go too far. So they can't wander too far from the house. So Mother Yashoda and Nanda, they give them permission, okay, you're going to be a calf, calf herder. But now this, is, this chapter comes, it's Gopastami. Gopastami means uh, it's, a, it's a day that Krishna becomes a full cow herder. He's entered into... Uh, his Pogunda Leela, his child, his youthful Leela. And so he wants to get away from his parents a little bit and have that kind of freedom. And the cows, they can wander further into the forest uh, than, than, the, than the calves. The calves are left behind at home and the cows go and pasture and they come back at night and again they give their udders and their milk to the calves. So he's going now into the forest with, with Ram and there are so many millions and millions of friends all decorated with flowers and leaves and, and different clays from the ground and marking their foreheads in different ways and, and uh, engaging in these sports and imitating the animals and uh, climbing the trees and so on and so forth and creating different sportive games and, and the cows are in front of them and they're herding, herding them along this is the Pogondalila, and it's going to, it's very beautifully described here, as I say. And in the context of this, the glorification of the environment is provided by Ram, as a Sandini Shakti who manifests the Dham. And then in the context of the Leela, his, his, his being the Mahayad Purusha, his being the Guru, one of the Gurus of Krishna. And it's important to know here that this, this chapter comes, it's so nice. This, this, the way this Bhagavad is arranged, I mean, this, this, this is the most beautiful theological book in the world, the Bhagavad. So beautiful, so profound, and so poetic at the same time. See how it's arranged theologically here. The, this Pogondalila is being described, and in the context of that, we move to the Kishorlila, where Krishna's adolescence and romantic life is portrayed. And in the context of moving towards that adolescent life, this Ram is glorified by Krishna in terms of his being the guru, his Mariada Purusha, and is telling us, you've got to get some of those rules in place in your life in order to tread this rag marg, really. You have to embrace some vidi, hmm? some hearing and chanting and properly, uh, before you just, you're not going to just fall madly in love with Krishna. There's a practice, if you will, for falling in love. You want have your ideal, and there's a way to cultivate that. And before you have a real taste for that, but you have an interest in it because you've met someone who has a taste for that, then you adopt certain practices in your life that will foster that. Hmm? This is the idea. So it's very beautiful and profound the way this is done. He's going to, and in the end, we're going to read a few verses. The last one I selected. This is where it moves from, from exactly from. It's one point in the chapter. There's two points where it moves from the Pogonda Leela, the youthful Leela, to the adolescent Leela. And Ram is 
is mentioned, and Radha is mentioned in the same same verse. It depends how you look at the words. And so you got it also means you have to have a guru in your life to get this rag. Uh, uh, someone who's got some rag that will attract us to that. Uh, so I'll read the first verse here. Sukhavacha. So Sukadeva is speaking. Sukha means parrot, but Sukha, Sukadev, it means the young boy who repeated the Bhagavatam, not like a parrot, only in one sense like a parrot. In the ordinary sense, the parrot just repeats, right, without knowing what he's talking about. We shouldn't speak the Bhagavatam like that, although even that will be beneficial. <laughs> but we should try to understand the inner meaning and the spirit of it and so forth. But there's another thing the parrot is said to do which, which in India, which is they taste the fruit and there's a set, there's a anyway poetic idea that by tasting the fruit the parrot makes it sweeter. So I guess it means when the birds are on the trees, you know it's time to pick the fruit. Hmm? They're really sweet by then. So pick those peaches out there. There's some on the tree and the birds are coming. So anyway, Sukha, Shisuko Vacha. So Sukha is speaking to the king, Parikshit. He's on the bank of the Ganges. The king is about to die. He has seven days to live. He asks Sukadev, what's the most best thing I can do with my life in general and especially at the time of death? And he's speaking the Bhagavatam. He's speaking the history of the life, the, the biography of God, if you will, in the context of this Leela. So Sisuko Vacha Tatas Chapoganda Vayasvito Braje Babhubatusto Pasupala Sammato Gascharayanto Shakibi Samampadair Brindavanam Punyati Bachakutu He says Poganda Vaya, as I've been explaining. Poganda means childhood. So now Vaya means Vayas means age. Attaining the age of Poganda. Previous Leela was the killing of Agasura. Krishna killed the demon Agasura in Vrindavan. And Balaram offered so many prayers afterward, or not Balaram, Brahma, of Gaudiya Siddhanta. This is the end of Krishna's uh, Kumar Leela, childhood Leela. It ends there. He's calf herding at, he was calf herding at that time. Therefore, Brahma stole the calves and the cowherd boys. And he wanted to see what Krishna would do if he stole them. He thought he stole them. But Krishna arranged it himself so that Brahma could get a good, good, good instruction and so forth. So this is coming just after that. During that leela, what happened was Krishna was out sporting with his, with his calves and cowherd friends. And this uh, Kamsa, who was in the, in the city, wanted to kill Krishna because it was an omen that came at the time of his birth that the, uh, or the, the, the omen that came at the time of Devaki's marriage that said the eighth son of of Devaki will be your death. So Kamsa took and locked up Devaki and Vasudeva into prison, and as they had children one after another, he killed them. And the eighth son somehow escaped Kamsa's atrocities, was smuggled into the village, and at large, and this was the child that was said to kill Kamsa, bring an end to, to demonic tendencies. So Kamsa was out sending his henchmen into the village in different ways, trying to find out where that eighth son might be in this. And one after another, these henchmen are being, have, have, they take forms by mystic power and try in different ways 
to, uh, to, to do away with Krishna. One becomes invisible, one takes on the guise of a mother. In different ways they, they're trying. This, this Agasur took the guise of a python and sat there with his mouth open, a huge python. And the boys, you know, they see this, they want to go in there and jump